This episode is brought to you by Peak, the blockchain for real-world applications and home of DPN. If you think it's time for Web3 to get real, check out their website at peak.network. That's P-E-A-Q.network. Hello, everyone. Daniel from DPN Hub over here. And today we're super happy to have Gabe from HiveMapper on our DPN Hub podcast. Gabe is the head of operations at, at HiveMapper. And HiveMapper personally is one project that I really, really like and really enjoy. been following for quite some time now. I would say that HiveMapper is one of the OG DPM projects alongside with Demo and, and of course, after uh, Helium. And it's been really interesting to see how they released the hardware last year and how far they have accomplished in the last year alone, right? Uh, but yeah, I guess, uh, Gabe, thanks so much for being on the show. It's a pleasure. And yeah, let's get started. Like, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, uh, Daniel. Big fan of what you're doing with the DPM Hub. Uh, so yeah, I'm Gabe. I'm head of operations at HiveMapper. I've been with HiveMapper about a year now, since around the time of the network launch in uh, November of 22. And at a small company like ours, 25 people or so, I wear many hats as head of operations. I, I build and support the contributor network, um, inform a lot of the reward strategy in particular, um, oversee our dash cam production and distribution, manage the scale up of our AI trainers program, where you can help to build the map uh, not just to collect imagery, but to build the map from what has been um, extracted from the dash cams. Um, I manage also a lot of partnerships, fleets, distributors, um, and do, do business analytics internally to make sure that the project is on the right track. So a lot of different things. Um, it's been an amazing ride over the past year. And before that, I'd spent about four or five years working at, uh, at Lyft, building a new business line there. So very well understand these multiple-sided marketplaces and the importance of keeping supply and demand in balance. Um, and before that, I spent some time as a journalist, actually, uh, covering automotive technology, transportation technology. And, you know, the, through my whole career, I've been focused on transportation and excited about um, how we can help people get around in a more efficient, easier way. And, and that was what drew me to HiveMapper. It's, it's an incredible vision for how we can build useful maps in a more cost-effective and fresher way to help people navigate our world. That's that's what I'm passionate about, and, and I'm excited to see how we've been able to execute over the past year. Yeah, it's awesome, and uh, congratulations on the on the everything that you built in the past as well. Uh, but for those people who don't really know HiveMapper, how can you describe it for like a five-year-old? Well, HiveMapper is a new and better way of building maps. Like we all use maps to to navigate our world. Some of the ways those maps are built don't really work that well. Um, some, some of the maps, like Google Maps, for instance, are really expensive to build because they're using these dedicated mapping vehicles with people driving around just to make maps. It's really expensive and it takes a really long time for them to drive around the whole world. So often the map is kind of old by the time you're even looking at it. Um, and on the other end, there are you know, some, some open source projects who are uh, having a lot of contributors, like individual people out in the world helping to build a map together, but they don't do anything to reward those people. And so the only people who can help build those maps are people who have the time to commit to doing it. And so you end up with a great map where people have kind of more time and you have a very poor map where people are working really hard and don't have that time. And that's not really fair to the work that goes into building a map. And so HiveMapper is a, a fairer way of building a fresher map. And that's what we're focused on building. Yeah, I think it's a perfect project for the deep in ecosystem as well, right? Like, how can you get to scale to get like really fresh maps? It is, it's really funny because uh, actually, I think it was yesterday I was I was talking to my co-founder like Max, and and he was showing me where he went a couple of weeks ago skiing in Switzerland, and then he's like, oh, I'm staying in this house, and then we opened Google Street View, 
And then he's like, oh, actually, this place is completely different. There's like a two-level house now. There's like building here. And they went to check the data. It was from 2013. Wow, it's been yeah. like 10 years. Over 10 years that they, they recorded that video. So many things change. So I think uh, the idea of having Mapper for that to, to be able to scale quickly and have fresh fresher maps, it's super interesting. Uh, do you know the story behind? We, we had somebody we had somebody who reached out to us recently and they were saying, you know, I'm driving on this road. I think it was in the Middle East and there was no street view there. So Google had never been there. And that road didn't even exist on OpenStreetMap. Like the road just wasn't on the map. They were going off the map. And I think that's the power of HiveMapper. When roads are built and become relevant, our, our, our community will see them and we will have the ability to add them to the map more quickly than anyone else in the world. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing. Uh, do you know about the story of Hive Mapper? How did it start? Why? What was the idea in the beginning, and how it is now? Yeah. So our co-founder and CEO Ariel has 20 years of experience in the mapping industry, and and back in the early 2000s, he was working at at Yahoo Maps. I think a lot of us remember, you know, the the. I say the bad old days when we had to print out maps and probably had them in a folder in the car. Some some people are young enough that they grew up with a smartphone and with Google and Apple Maps. And I have to tell you, you are very lucky. <laughs> it was a mess back in the day. But anyways, Ariel was working there in the early 2000s, and just as Google Maps was coming up. And you know, Google was pouring resources into uh, building their Google Street View program. You know, he tried to get Yahoo to invest more to, to keep up. They didn't want to do it. It was just so expensive. And so, you know, Yahoo fell behind and this kind of stuck with him. And he was thinking for a very long time as he went through, you know, uh, multiple kind of uh, startups that he created and you know, other jobs he held. Um, he was thinking about how can we do what they're doing, but do it in a more efficient, fresher way. You know, and he tried a few different uh, uh, startup concepts for building crowdsourced maps. And then he had this kind of spark of intuition as he was seeing uh, the emergence of Helium a few years ago with the kind of token incentivized model for building, you know, a, a network. And he said, that's it. Like, that's the way that we're going to build a map in a fresher and more cost effective way. You know, instead of having dedicated vehicles with dedicated drivers driving around, which is like inefficient and expensive. And I mean, you're wasting gas and all that. There are people, there are billions of cars, you know, more than a billion cars on the roads worldwide. You know, we're driving you know, tens of billions of miles every day as humanity, why don't we just use that to build a map? And, you know, all of the hardware has come so far, you know, uh, cameras are less expensive, compute is less expensive, the bandwidth to, you know, transfer that to the cloud is less expensive. Like everything is cheap now compared to where it was when Google Street View got started. And I don't think they would have taken the approach that they did um, if it was where it is today. And so, you know, we, we just see a better way and um, that's what we've been focused on. Yeah, it's, I would say it's perfect timing, right? Like every all the stars aligned and then the perfect project can come out of that. Um, can yeah. you explain a little bit of how HiveMapper work a little bit more on the technical side? Like you buy a camera, you have to install in your car. What is the process yeah. of like uh, using it? Yeah, so uh, HiveMapper has... Uh, has dash cams that are purpose built for mapping, right? You know, other projects have tried to, to you know, bef that come before us have tried to, to do this with smartphones, but you have different uh, different cameras in every smartphone. 
the GPS quality is not very good. And so we went back to the drawing board and said, you know, if you, if you want to build a map that's really high quality and reliable, you have to control the hardware. And so we designed dash cams that would do that with really high quality imagers. And this is what we're hearing from customers. The image quality is really good. Um, some of the best GPS that you can get, you know, much better than a smartphone. Um, again, we're hearing that from customers. It's, it's exactly what they need. Um, so you install this dash cam in your vehicle um, and you, you pair it with the Hive Mapper app. Um, you know, just so that it knows, okay, here's the, here's the, uh, the wallet of the person who is, is mapping. Um, and then you just drive, you drive as you would normally drive and it's collecting imagery the whole way. In fact, you don't even need to be connected to the app the whole time. The dash cam can collect eight or 10 hours of imagery all on its own. Eventually you do connect it to the app. You offload all that imagery from the dash cam and you upload it either over cellular or over Wi-Fi. you know, depending on you know, the nature of your cellular plan. Um, you, you upload it to the servers where um, our map AI can extract intelligence from all those images. We can say there's a stop sign here, there's a traffic light there. Um, and we have all of the, the raw imagery as well for any map data customer out there who wants to, uh, to buy imagery to feed into their own pipelines. I think this is an under, underappreciated thing. Um, you know, some, some, some folks think, oh, it's good enough to, uh, to, to just to just do the uh, to just do the extraction, and you know we, we, we'll, we'll get some map features out of it. Um, that's not what a lot of the customers actually want. Some of them want that, but a lot of them want you know the imagery so that they can process it themselves. And so um, you know ultimately we're uploading huge amounts of both imagery and map features in order to allow people to build better maps. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that that takes me to the second question, right? So this is more like in the supply side. Uh, how are you guys dealing with the demand side? Who are, who are the demand side that would be interested in that data? Yeah, well, I mean, mapping is, a, is an industry worth like high tens to hundreds of billions of dollars a year. It's a huge industry. Um, and so there are very large incumbents in this space. Um, you know, we, we are all used to using, you know, Google Maps or, or Apple Maps in our daily lives. And it's free because you know, we're the product, right? In the case of in Google, right? You know, they're, they're using data to serve us search results and all that. Um, but that's not the case for businesses, for governments. Um, you know, Google Maps has APIs that bring in uh, tens of billions of dollars a year from uh, from hundreds of thousands to low millions of customers. You know, if you even if you never opened Google Maps when you open Airbnb or Yelp or Uber and just on and on and on, they're all powered by Google Maps APIs. And so we're focused on the B2B market. You know, we're not, at least not for now, we're not focused on building a consumer mapping product. We're focused on selling map data to business, government customers uh, so that they can build better maps or integrate the data that we provide into their own services. And, you know, the, those APIs have gotten very, very expensive. You know, they have a near monopoly in that market and they've They've, they've capitalized on that. And, you know, so we see a real opening here for people who want fresher data and who want lower cost data. Yeah, absolutely. I think a little a note on that end. Uh, we, when we were building Hotspotty and we started getting the, the first like wave of helium growth back in 2021, our biggest cost in terms of infrastructure wasn't servers. We're running, I think it was four uh, helium ETLs at the time processing like a lot of data. Even yeah. with all that processing power, our biggest cost was still the mapping. And it was just Mapbox. We were not even using Google Maps because it was it's still yeah. much more expensive. Um, and all we actually I mean, you guys are providing way, way more information that we need. All we needed is actually show the world map 
that you can see more or less where the hotspots are located. So it's in it's a pretty pretty big market, and there are not that many players, right? So you guys, I think, in a pretty good spot for yeah. that. Yeah, I think yeah, Mapbox is a is a good example. They're a company we admire a lot, we respect a lot. They've built some really great products, and I think you, know, you can think about the Hive Mapper network as actually being kind of similar to the relationship between um, OpenStreetMap and Mapbox, right? Mapbox's products are all built on OpenStreetMap, so that's kind of crowdsourced data built by uh, you know, a crowdsourced map built by people around the world. And then Mapbox is a kind of a private company that's really good at building on top of that and selling you things. And I think our vision is a little bit like the Hive Mapper network is OpenStreetMap. We are all collaborating to build this map. We're all being rewarded for building this map. And then on top of it, it's an open ecosystem where developers can come in. I mean, I think if we're really successful, you know, maybe even a developer like Mapbox would want to come in and build on top of the Hive Mapper network. You know, we, our project team at, you know, Hive Mapper Inc., you know, the developer who's building, um, you know, kind of like the relationship between like, you know, Helium Foundation, Nova Labs, like we are a developer too, you know, we're building with the raw data, but we would love to see many, 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 many more developers coming in and building on top of that platform, just like, uh, you know, just like Mapbox does with OpenStreetMap. And, you know, as you mentioned, you know, they can they can charge quite a lot for these really valuable products that are built upon the raw data. And, you know, we want to, to bring more competition into that space to make maps more accessible and lower cost for builders like you. Yeah, exactly. I think I think I'm super excited to see that. I also see new products coming from that. And on that angle, you can also touch like about the rewards of the people. Uh, like say, what's a, what's in there for me? When I have a car, I want to put a Hive Mapper dash cam in my car. How does the the Honey token is called? Right, like Hive Mapper, and then you have the the tokens is called Honey. How does the incentive yeah. mechanism work for that? Yeah. So there's a there's a pool of Honey that's allocated toward contributors um, that mints every week. And rather than it being a fixed amount that mints every week and it's kind of the same for everyone, there's a lot of dynamic factors that are going in there to make sure that great work is rewarded with great rewards, right? So the more progress that our entire community makes, like the more of the world's roads that are getting mapped every week, you know, the higher our map progress is and the more that gets minted. And then that pool of rewards gets distributed among all of the individual regions of the world based on their own individual progress. So, you know, today there are some places in you know, South Korea, for instance, or Taiwan that are growing far, far, far faster than you know, some other regions of the world. And so they end up getting a larger slice of the pie, so to speak. Right. So there's kind of a, a, a global pot that gets calculated, then the region pots kind of trickle down from there. And then at the individual level, not all contributions are the same. You know, if you just drive the same commute back and forth to your office every single day, well, you're going to have great coverage on that one road, but like the rest of your town is totally unmapped. And so there are factors that go into the individual level rewards, like freshness of, you know, how, how much did the map actually need this coverage? You know, has this not been mapped ever? Has it been not, not been mapped in a month? Um, and I want to, it's, it's really important for folks to understand. It's not like a, you know, first person to map a tile or, you know, to map a hex gets rewarded and after that it's done, it's over. No, like we're building a map that has to be kept refreshed forever, like every week forever, right? And so the way that freshness works, it resets every seven days linearly. So if it's never been mapped, you get max rewards. If it hasn't been mapped in a week, you get mapped rewards and then it scales down from there. So if everybody's just driving the same road over and over, yeah, you're, you're just not gonna get that much for that because it just wasn't that useful to the map. And I think it's really important to us, this, this element of dynamic rewards. You know, I think we, we see some, some, some projects designed with a much more fixed rewards mechanism where it's like the same amount every week. 
And, you know, there's kind of like a baseline reward that everyone gets, regardless of how much value they added to the network. And ultimately, we think that that, that doesn't align the incentives correctly so that contributors are on the same side of building this really useful product. And so that's why we've moved in a more dynamic direction with our rewards. One of the good ways for people to earn the, the tokens is just basically, I mean, ideally, you just want people to put in the car and drive as they you do not, like you said, not get out of the ways to, to map other places because you're going to be using more gas and then pollution, etc. Right. Uh, but I think if yeah. more and more people have those devices in their cars, automatically you're going to be building the whole map without action, an extra effort, let's say. Um, is there any an advice that you can give to people in order to like make more honey tokens? Yeah. So I think our most important advice is drive as you would normally drive. Like try to just make this a passive part of your life, right? Because the whole vision of the network is we want to take advantage of the driving that we are all already doing. Like if we, if, if everybody drove passively, all the roads in the world would get mapped and we'd have a great fresh map and no one would have had to like burn extra gas, put in extra effort, right? I think at this early stage, it, you know, there's a lot of roads that have never been mapped before. And so if you're trying to, you know, improve your freshness and get the biggest reward, go a block out of your way and drive a different road that you didn't drive last time. Like don't, don't waste a bunch of time. Don't drive all over the place just to map, but you know, switch up your routes, mix it up a little bit, hit different roads that you haven't hit before. And that will result in, in, in improved freshness. So I know when I'm going places, I'm always looking at the map and saying, all right, I usually go this way. Why don't I go one block over and drive this other road? And maybe it takes me an extra 30 seconds, but you know, I'm, I'm hitting something I've never hit before. So I think that's one thing that we definitely encourage different routes. And definitely not only for the honey or for the for hive mapper, it's driving some different ways that not too far from where we're going to go. You get to know new places, right? You get to find yeah. different things. And this reminds me when I was a student in, in Italy, in Milan, I used to go back walking from the university. Every day I yeah. tried to go a different route and I find so many like different restaurants or different like supermarkets. And yeah, that's, it's, that's something that's really exciting, right? Besides making some money, you get to know the city a little bit better, get yeah. to find out things that you don't didn't know. Uh, so that's, that's really interesting. That's a hundred percent right. Yeah. I've learned so much about my neighborhood. I've discovered new places I didn't know existed. And yeah, it's, it's the, the, the joy of exploration. Peak is a layer one blockchain designed to power deepins. Why do deepins choose to build on Peak? It's fast, scalable, low cost offer builders are ready to deploy deepin SDK and it's multi-chain. So when you build on Peak, you're building for all web three. Peak is home for the fastest growing deepin projects, with more than 100,000 vehicles and devices deployed, over a dozen deepins already building, and the world leading device manufacturers such as Boss partner with them. Think of building a deepin? Peak has a grand program for deepin builders. If you're listening to this, remember you're early. The Peak Network will launch in the first half of 2024. Check out Peak's channels for more details and links in the podcast description. One other thing that I was looking on the, on the Hive Mapper ecosystem is something that you guys released a few months ago called Bursts, right? Uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about that. I think it's super interesting. Um, yeah. 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 So map data customers often, you know, have very localized interests. You know, they just to use it, just to use an example, maybe a, maybe a real estate company would want to keep an eye on like one specific property or maybe a construction company would want to keep an eye on one specific construction site. And so they have a strong interest in seeing it mapped very well. And something like Google Street View, the images are going to be years old. It will never be usable. Um, we've built this product called Burst, which is basically like a bounty system where a customer can say, I really want map data here and I'm willing to put my honey on the line so that that gets mapped. 
right? And then it puts an icon on the map. Everybody can see that there's kind of a bounty out on this location. And, you know, they can go and, and chase it down like, like dots in Pac-Man is the analogy that some people have used. And some people find this really fun, you know? It's kind of like a Pokemon Go experience where it's like, oh, like if I go over here, you know, I can get this special reward. And you can also know that you're doing something useful because a customer has asked for this data specifically, right? And so um, it's a really cool feature and it's one that we're still in kind of in the earlier stages of, of testing it out and um, you know, figuring out exactly how to deploy it. Um, but it's something that I, I expect to, to grow a lot in the future. And actually there's another project, uh, product that we've recently uh, introduced that we have have working and are starting to you know, put in, put together, you know, we are putting together the SDK for others to build on top of it. That's called Scout. And the combination of Scout and those honey burst bounties is when it, things get really powerful because with Scout, you can say, okay, these are the locations that I wanna watch. Tell me when you get new, when you get new map data for these locations. And then you put a, a, a burst bounty on it and you can watch as the images come in and they're like, they get, pro they get priority processing and you can like see the, the fresh images of the locations you care about coming in, sometimes within like minutes to hours. It's incredible. Um, it's something that no one else can do in the world today. And I, I'm excited to see all of the ways that we've never even conceived of that people will use those that product. I mean, yes, I think whenever you build a good product there, you can never imagine all the ways people are gonna use it, right? Like it's, it's interesting to see, and you can actually learn a lot of it with your users afterwards. So on the, on the bird side, if I, I am on the, if I'm a customer, I wanna have map data from a specific location, do I need to buy honey tokens and then I deploy them? Or what is the process like people paying fiat or what is that? Yeah, flow? So yeah, so t typically today, um, you, know, you have to go through a developer. Um, so like, for instance, HiveMapper Inc., um, who would place the bounties on your behalf. They would place the bursts on your behalf. Um, and they'd be responsible for like sourcing the, the honey, burning the honey to generate the map credits to, to place those bursts. Um, and so it would be kind of like fiat in, then, then honey gets burned on your behalf. And that honey then gets reminted to contributors for, to, for the extra honey burst rewards so hopefully that makes sense yeah this i think also after the sdk there will be a lot of automation and, and new things that come up with that so that's yeah. pretty exciting yeah. self self-serve burst creation and all that yeah exactly i know there's so much to build and there's like this is very a complex project right like very complete it takes time but i, I mean you guys have been killing it so far talking about go, getting doing a very good job like i remember ariel was posting i think you guys are ready at six million kilometers mapped right yeah uh, but i think it was five million in eight months or something like that it was like crazy yeah 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 and that's you know six million is six million in the first year that's about 10 percent of the world's roads so you know we've made amazing progress we're growing very quickly but you know, we've got 90 percent left to go so it's still very early days we've got a lot to do and we have to stay focused on on our on our mission and just continuing to build and execute and move as quickly as we can possibly move you know because you know there's big incumbents in this space right like this is not this isn't a thing that doesn't exist today you know we have to we have to build a better product and we have to do it as quickly as we possibly can yeah like i, I like to say we're still early right there's still a lot to be built but come on 10 yes. percent of the yeah. world in a year is, is ridiculous yeah, we're proud. We're proud. yeah i mean yeah. you should be your mom should and i think be very and i proud. think ultimately and i think ultimately like you know we're 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 proud but i think the community should be really proud right because you know the 
what has made this possible is the dedication of our community. Like it hasn't always been easy. It's a brand new network. Not everything works as well as we'd like it to work right out of the box. Maybe the hardware is not as reliable as we'd like. Maybe the app has more bugs than we'd like. And people have stuck with it and are generating hundreds and hundreds of kilometers uh, per week of coverage, right? Like orders of magnitude more than we have seen in the past and are seeing today from, from smartphone-based projects. The, the dedication and the productivity is crazy. And like, yeah. honestly, just, I think every, every contributor who has, has put their time and energy into the project, um, they are the, they're the MVPs, not us. And, you know, it's just a matter of, um, making sure that we're, we're serving that community as well as we can, you know, while staying focused on the needs of the map, the needs, the needs of map customers and, and keeping, keeping everything in balance. Yeah, especially, I would say, especially building and mapping during the bear market, right? Like the last, yeah. I would say the last two years have been pretty tough. Uh, yeah. But for, I think for us and for you guys as well, it's the best time to actually heads down, yeah. build and create and make sure that things work. Because when, yeah. when, the, net, when the market picks up again, things got a bit crazy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, there's that saying like the, yeah, the bear is the, is the good time to build. And that's definitely true. It's a hard time to recruit contributors. It's like, it's an easy, an easier time to build because you don't, you, you don't have to deal with quite as many of the, uh, the challenges of hyper growth, which is, you know, a, new, a diff completely different set of challenges on its own. It would have been much harder for us to stay, you know, heads down focused on, improving our hardware, improving our firmware, improving our app, building map data products for customers. If we were growing our contributor base, like, you know, 50% every week, and it's just, it's just, just wild having to, to scale that. So yeah, it's been a good time to build and, you know, we're, but we are excited to you know kind of see the green shoots of, uh, of, of, of hopefully a bull market come back. We'll see. Yeah, hopefully. Um, I'm talking about bear, like bear market and bull markets. Can you talk about the honey tokenomics? Uh, how does it work? The models, the location structures, the men side, more or less. Do you have any like intake on that? Yeah. So the so honey has a a burn mint equilibrium with a, a max supply of uh, of 10 billion. And as I mentioned earlier, so uh, four billion of that is allocated to contributors with a weekly with a with a weekly mint, right? And so. As it mints week over week, there's a minimum of 10 years. It will probably be a little bit longer than that. Ultimately, it'll work its way up to 10 billion total supply and it will stay there. And the reason it will stay there is because of the burn mint equilibrium, where whenever a map customer comes along and uh, you know, buys map data, they need map credits, which can only be created by burning honey. And then that honey gets reminted to the contributors who made the map possible. So 100% of the, the honey burned for map data consumption goes back to the people who built the map. And ultimately the thing that, you know, the way that this network uh, becomes more valuable, it, it only comes from uh, uh, finding customers who, who find our products valuable. Like we are laser focused on building useful map products and not the other stuff, right? Like we, I think, I think like you know, there's a, there's a lot of different ways that you can design, uh, design a token inflationary deflationary. And ultimately we think this is the one that aligns the incentives the best. If contributors do great work, they, and you know, build a really useful map, they get great rewards. You know, we, we, we want them to be the people who power the building of the map and the ones who, who you know, who receive the rewards, you know, as, customers find it valuable and uh, consume map data. I think building good quality products and bringing good pictures and bringing good mapping, then actually 
that trans that transfers to actually the the, the value of the network, right? Um, uh, one thing that like I installed, let's say I installed a hive mapper on my car. It's taking pictures everywhere I go, right? Uh, I I wonder if there's a lot of people who think, okay, is there any privacy concerns on that end? Because I don't know, I could be taking pictures of something illegal, or like you know, I'm, I'm the era 51, era 51 in the US taking pictures of something yeah. that I shouldn't be. I don't know. How yeah. how do you guys deal with this privacy security for user contribution data? Yeah, so yeah, we take privacy really really seriously, and the entire network has been designed around this. We don't know who's mapping and we don't want to know. We generate a random username and we, we don't have any personally identifiable information to correlate with that username. And we are doing things like all of the imagery is getting privacy blurred for faces, for license plates. And on the points that you raised, we have a couple different tools at our disposal. There's, there's what's called personal privacy zones, which is like, I don't want to map my garage. I don't want to map my, my workplace. I don't want to map my friend's house, whatever. You can place as many of those on your own personal device and your own personal app as you want. And when you have those personal privacy zones in place, imagery will never be uploaded to the network. And those, those live on the edge, on your device, on, on your, uh, your dash cam. We don't know where those personal privacy zones are. We just don't get data in those locations as a network, right? There's also network privacy zones. So, you know, if there are places like Area 51, where there's kind of an, an enhanced societal expectation of privacy, um, the network, you know, can, can transparently restrict those areas. And you, know, you can go on the map and you can see some of them today for, you know, U.S. military bases, which were the, the ones that the foundation decided to, to create as the kind of a, initial test of this functionality you know the places that are considered on and off limits you know kind of by society it will, will will evolve over time you know there will be new military bases built there will be new industrial research facilities built and so the network is flexible to be able to uh to create new network privacy zones and and, and prevent those places from being mapped in ways that aren't appropriate nice yeah have mapper is a small team comparing to google Right. I mean, of course, you have a, a massive, massive fleet of people taking pictures. I think that's the magic of DP. Yeah. But on, yeah. on the maybe on the product side, how do you guys compete? Like, what is the biggest challenges of competing with a company like Google Maps? Well, I mean, look, Google Google has dozens of mapping APIs that are providing different products on top of just the map that you see on the app on top of. Google Street View. Okay, so you know there is a, it is a long, long road ahead of us uh, to uh, to to compete with them on a level playing field, right? But where we where we stand today with the way that our network is able to collect street level imagery, uh, we think we're very, very competitive with them from you know in terms of their you know, Google Street View API. That's kind of our, our our first strongest foray into into customer segments because their imagery is not that fresh in most cases and because it's very expensive, right? We can offer much fresher data at a much lower cost because of the way that we collect it compared to them. Ultimately, having to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on vehicles, having to pay drivers to drive around in those vehicles, that's their Achilles heel. It makes their collection for Google Street View very expensive, and we can do it cheaper and better and fresher. So that's where we're focused today. That's where we're seeing great uptake from customers, um, the ability to get street level imagery far more, far fresher and far more cost effectively than they can get from other options that exist in the market today. We're already hearing that from large name brand customers who you'd recognize. And, you know, it's still very early. We don't have the logo rights to put them on our website and everything, but, you know, we're excited to be able to share more about the, 
name brand customers who are, who are finding utility in this network as soon as we possibly can. Yeah, that's awesome. I think in, in the beginning, there was nothing, there was like no really 3D pictures of the world. Then Google Maps came with the first, let's say first try. And now actually you have information from everywhere, but a lot of the information is old. So then I believe like first, like nothing, then Google and now HiveMapper, right? Then that's actually when the, the fun starts having like very up-to-date pictures everywhere. Can you take your hive mapper outside of roads? Let's say I want to take it on like, like a hike, a hike to a beach or something like that. That could be yeah. interesting as well. So current, currently we are requiring that mapping be done using four-wheel vehicles, like road-going vehicles, right? And I think, you know, there are places where a four-wheel vehicle may go that is not a road, like a parking lot, that's fine. Um, but we're not supporting any kind of like off-road, non-four-wheel vehicle use cases at this time, just because we are focused on like kind of navigation maps as a use case. Who knows what the future holds, right? There are so many ways of uh, of collecting a map. In fact, you know, some previous a previous project done by members of the Hive Mapper team was focused on drone collection, right? And it didn't it didn't it didn't it didn't work as well as 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 they'd hoped. But like, you know, that is a that is a cool idea. You know, we, maybe we would have an, a model where people could use bikes or you know body mounted cameras. Like we know Google has done that as well. Who knows what the future holds? I think first and firm, foremost, we're focused on the largest and most valuable segment, which is like road navigation. So uh, sorry to disappoint the, the hikers who wanted to want to bring a GoPro and contribute to the Hive Mapper network, maybe someday, but just not where our yeah, I mean, today. Exactly. I think maybe not now, yeah. but maybe someday in the future, because then once you guys are done with the basic sets yeah. of, of data you're trying to build, then you can actually go ahead and build some of the yeah. cool stuff. Because I personally love to go to like beach or like nature scenes and see the yeah. 360 angles of those places, right? Yeah, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've taken a, a, a wrong turn on a hike where I wouldn't have done it if we had, uh, you know, Google hike view. <laughs> so who knows, who, who knows what the future holds? Yeah. Do you have any like success stories to share from HiveMapper users? Uh, you mean, you mean map data customers? Yeah, could, I mean, could be both sides, right? Could be the supply side, could be the demand yeah. side. Well, I, I can kind of share some of both. So I think on the contributor side, on the supply side, uh, what we found is that you know people who are professional drivers, whether it's you know a, a gig driver or you know maybe uh, uh, you know I know we have one very active contributor um, who you know has a locksmith company, so he's always going through you know residential areas from house to house. They're an amazing fit for Hive Mapper because they're they're driving as a job, so they can passively collect more imagery than anybody else. And they're not just taking the same highways, you know, the same main roads, they're getting off into the side roads, into the neighborhoods. You know, if you're a, if you're a DoorDash driver, you know, who knows where your delivery is going to take you. And, you know, if you're, if you're a, a plumber or an electrician or a locksmith, like who knows where your next customer is going to be. And so those folks have found a great fit as far as, you know, being able to, to generate a ton of useful map data and therefore a ton of rewards as well. On the demand side, I think the place where we're seeing the greatest fit is people who have an existing data set, you know, whether it's a map or like a database that's used for logistics purposes, and they already have a database, like they have a baseline understanding of, you know, what the map or what their data set looks like, but they want fresher information in order to update it, to keep it up to date. Th that is an incredible fit for our network because they're saying, okay, you know, at this stage, you might only have 50% or 75% of the coverage of my, of the region that I care about, but it's all very fresh. It's fresher than what I have. I'll take all of it. And that, that's, that's really been the area where we've seen uh, we've seen great success at this point. Um, for example, going back to the locksmith person, yeah. I believe that DPN 
is an amazing opportunity to get real people, normal people into crypto yeah. as well, right? Yeah. Like this yeah. guy's earning like a passive income that can, I don't know what, how much he makes, but I'm sure that can help at the end of the, uh, at the end of the month or end of the year can make a difference as well. And then he likes this project. He's going to talk about, uh, about HiveMapper to all his friends and family. So I think this is, this is one of the most beautiful things about DPN is that onboarding like the normal Joe and getting yeah. some more millions of people into crypto. I think that's, personally, that's one thing that- Yeah, at this, yeah. Like, at this point, we're definitely seeing like a lot of uh, Web3 deep in veterans, enthusiasts, you know, people who have been, who have, uh, have done Helium in the past, for instance, you know, they're the, probably the, the, the original members who came, who came in as the first contributors, but yeah, then they tell their friends, you know, um, you know, if maybe that, maybe that person who has a, uh, who has a, a helium hotspot at their house, you know, they're, they're they do some gig driving on the side. They have friends who are gig drivers. They tell their friends who are gig drivers. They start a fleet to get their, their gig driver friends going. Like, yeah, you start to see people coming in who are, in many cases, interacting with crypto for the first time, they 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 know about Bitcoin and Ethereum, and that's about all they know, right? And so they're they're creating a wallet for the first time, and they're uh, they're understanding the power of of crypto to inter interface with the real world for the first time. And that's really exciting. I mean, you know, there's one one guy who was saying, "Oh, I got my you know my dad uh, my dad on on board. He's you know, he's mapping for Hidemapper. He didn't know a thing about crypto. It's like you know <laughs> you know my." If, if, if we if we can get people who have trouble setting a DVR or a VCR to uh, to 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 onboard to crypto, then crypto is going in the right direction. No, exactly. I think that's the the, the right thing to do, right? We wanted to get people involved in crypto without them even realizing it's crypto, because that at the end of the day, we want to build products yeah. that build like they create value, not just like a bunch yeah. of DJs that are gonna pump and dump some tokens, yeah. right? So absolutely. I, I mean, we yeah, we for us like this is a really important point for us that like. For us, um, we're using crypto because crypto is a powerful technology that allows us to align the incentives of the community around the work of building a map. Like we're more of a mapping company that's using crypto as a tool, just like we use, you know, uh, just like we use cloud services, right? Just like we use machine learning models. Uh, we don't, we're not religious about crypto. Like crypto is a, is a tool that solves a problem for us and it's working very well as a tool that serves a problem for us. But we, but I think it's really important that we as a community focus on people outside of that, <laughs> that religion, right? Because only so many people adhere to that religion. And if you want to become big and relevant in the real broader world, you have to connect with people who, who aren't religious um, and who are seeing real utility from participating in your project. Um, and I think there's not enough out there that's doing that. And um, you know, we're doing our best to be, to be one that is. Yeah, I mean, that's one of our goals at Deepin Hub, right? Our goal is to bring Deepin and bring crypto to the masses. Like I like to say that, a web, that I like to say that Deepin is the gateway direct Web3 is this how we're going to onboard a lot of people without they even realizing it's crypto without the fear of like, oh, Bitcoin is a scam or Ethereum is a scam. So I think, like I said, uh, the crypto mechanism to, to get where we want to go, it's it's the perfect match. Um, let's get a little bit nerdy. I think that's where my favorite topics, right? Getting to yeah. the, the nitty gritty of the engineering and the electronics. When I come to San Francisco last year, I got one hardware and then I we, me and my co-founder, we drove from SF to LA, we mapping all over the place. And then we brought to Portugal, we've been mapping around here as well. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the building of the camera? Because you, like you said, you've, you've been in charge of that part as well, right? Yeah. So at, 
I, I mentioned this a little earlier, um, based on the experience of our team in previous mapping projects and some of the learnings that we had taken away from other projects out there that had done crowdsource mapping, we felt it was critical to control the hardware that's collecting for the network. Um, you know, I think a lot of people come to us and say, well, why not just map with a smartphone, right? Like, you know, there are other projects out there that do this. There's other projects in the past who have tried to do this. And we've never seen it really work. The, every, every smartphone has different hardware, a different camera. Um, they have very inconsistent and inaccurate uh, GPS location. Um, and in addition to that, you know, the friction of having a map with a smartphone is real. Like only so many people are going to get a side phone that they're using just for mapping. Okay. Like most people want to use their main phone. And that means that every time you start a drive, you have to pull that phone out of your pocket. You have to correctly mount it on the windshield. Now it's all the way up there on the windshield. You can't really see it very well. If you want to use it for navigation, it's, it's a mess. And like we had tried to build this network with smartphones previously during an earlier kind of beta version of the high mapper network. People didn't stick with it. They quit. The productivity was terrible. Like we had to go and build our own dash cam and like building a dash cam has been hard. It's been really hard to scale up production and to, to make this dash cam very reliable. Like we wouldn't have done it if we didn't know that we needed to do it. And, um, and I, I, we're proud of what we've built. We built a really solid, reliable, highly productive mapping machine that's generating like hundreds and hundreds of kilometers of useful data per contributor per week with higher quality than what a smartphone can do. And, you know, we've, we've continually improved that, you know, we went from our original HiveMapper Dashcam model to the HiveMapper Dashcam S, which is our most advanced model. You know, we're in the early phases of planning out a next generation model as well, like more details to come on that probably in Q1. Um, and, you know, we're going to keep pushing the envelope of what a great mapping machine looks like, not just like, you know, get a little bit of map data here with a device you already have, but like a dedicated mapping machine that can cost effectively deliver really high quality data that our customers are willing to buy. I think that's, that's the, that's the hard question to ask any deep end project. Okay. Like what is your product and who is really going to buy it? Right. If there's not already, you know, uh, a web two company who's making billions of dollars a year selling the product that you're building, like ask yourself, why not? Like, yeah, why do you think exactly. that, why do you think that crypto changes that? It's, it, I think there's, I think that's a really hard question that a lot of projects need to ask themselves. Like, I, I don't want to have a situation in deep end where like there are projects out there that, that don't have a solid strategy and it, you know, kind of harms the, harms the, the reputation of the others. One thing that I would like to touch as well is, uh, I met actually Ariel in Lisbon last year for Solana Breakpoint. Mm -hmm. And yeah, what was the process of choosing to work with Solana? There's like the Polygon, there's Ethereum, there's so many other different blockchains that you guys could build on. Why Solana? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was, I, that, that decision was a bit before my time, but I, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, what Ariel, um, our, our, our co-founder and CEO has told me and what he said publicly on this. So, you know, he was having conversations with different folks and I think it was the relationship with uh, Anatoly that, um, that really got him over the hump. They were like, look, you know, we're, we're focused on low cost, high throughput. And if it doesn't work out for you, like we'll help you get off. Right. Like, you know, we're not, we're not trying to get you stuck here, you know? And he just felt a really great relationship with them as, as far as their vision of an incredibly scalable, cost-effective blockchain and their support for him as a builder in, you know, being willing to help him try it out and you know, no, no, no problem, no regrets if it doesn't work out for you. And we've found that it has worked very, very, very well. I think we've done a total of 12 million transactions 
since the launch of the High Mepper network. And I, I couldn't tell you what it costs. Like I'm the head of operations, and I couldn't tell you what it costs because it's so low that it's not, it's it, it's a rounding error in our cost stack. Like that's incredible. That, that's what blockchain should be. You know, we can issue our weekly, our weekly transactions in a matter of minutes, um, you know, whereas, you know, who, know, who knows how long that, that might take um, on some other L1s. Um, and <laughs> and the, the, the tech stack is so easy to build on. Like Ariel mentioned this on another podcast recently. People don't realize that we have one engineer building our entire uh, our entire Solana stack. Like to us, that's a good thing. We're a mapping company. We're not like a Solana company, okay? Like we don't want to have 10 engineers who have to work on this thing because it's so hard to build on. Like it's incredibly efficient for us as a builder. And ultimately that's what it should be. Like this is a platform for other people to build on. It's not a job in and of itself, really. It's not this, you know, the, the, it's, not, it's not a goal in and of itself. And, and so yeah. it's, it's, been, it's been a great fit for us. We're very happy with it. Yeah, no, it's amazing. I think what you guys are building, I think Solana also is a great ecosystem for dipping. There's so many cool projects building on top of that as well. Um, I mean, different blockchains offer different things. Of course, I, I'm a big fan of Solana as well myself. I like I like their, what they're trying to build and how they're supporting the projects. Um, do you have any alpha that you can tell the, the people on the podcast of things that are coming up? Um, well, so... I mentioned a second ago that we have plans in the works for next generation dash cam. Um, and we're looking forward to sharing more details on that in Q1. I can't share like this, any, any specifics on it, but what I can tell you is that, you know, we've, we've heard loud and clear from folks, the importance of, of making the dash cam even more passive than it is today. And so we're thinking about the best, the best way to, to achieve that while continuing to improve and improve and improve the quality uh, for our map data customers in ways that a smartphone cannot match. Um, so that's, that's one thing that's, uh, that's a big priority for us. I think another one, this isn't, you know, it isn't, uh, it isn't alpha in terms of it not being out there, but you know, the Hive Mapper Foundation recently proposed a, uh, a, a proposal called MIP7, which is around updating the rewards formula starting Jan 1. Um, and it's going, and you know, if it's finalized as written, um, it's going to result in, you know, significantly, um, like boosted rewards in some of the regions of the world that are making the highest progress to help push them closer and closer and closer to a full, uh, a full, uh, you know, 100% coverage map. And so, you know, if you're if you're in one of the places where you know it looks like oh, there's there's getting to be a lot of coverage here. You know, there's a lot of contributors here. Um, the the foundation's proposal would you know, up to 3x the rewards in those regions that are making the greatest progress. So that's a really important change to the rewards uh, that would take effect for 2024. I think those are a couple of things that are um, that are that are coming down the pike. There's there's always a lot more coming um, at HiMap, but we move really quickly and excited for people to see what we what we do next year. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was going to ask, like, what, how do you see HiMap growing in the next year, in the next five years? Uh, but yeah. I think it, this, there's so much that's going to happen and it's going to be really interesting to just put the dash cam on the car and just like go drive and figure out what you guys yeah. are building. It's been super well, think, interesting to see. Yeah. I mean, I think our evolution is just continuing to, to do what we're doing and continuing to execute. You know, it's amazing that we've done 10% of the world's roads, but that's only 10%. We have a long way to go. We need a lot of dedicated contributors in order to get there. You know, and it's great that we've had some early success on the demand side with customers who are seeing really strong value in what we're building. 
but we've got a, there's a lot more of them out there. A lot of people we've never spoken to. And so, you know, I think we're going to be incredibly focused on the demand side of this, of this marketplace. And, you know, with, with a hundred percent of burn being remitted to contributors as, as additional rewards, I think people are going to start to, to see the benefit of that as well. Yeah, exactly. Well, wow, that's, uh, that's amazing. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Is there anything that would you like to close on? No, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's been really fun to, to talk through it and you know, we'd love to come back anytime. I'm going to drop a discount code on, the, on this video or in the audio, depending where you're listening or watching the video. So be aware of uh, that and let's go get some, some new cameras and get start mapping because I think that's what we like to do anyway. Thanks right. so much for your time. It was a pleasure. And yeah, have a great day and have a good one, man.